Hello. Welcome to another VK Podcast. It's been a little while since we last spoke. Ray, how long's it been? I think it's been... Three years? No, not that long. It's been only about maybe four or five months. And uh, I think that's due to a variety of things. Uh, the holidays, for mm. one. Uh, Very busy over the holidays. Your vision quest for some cargo shorts. <laughs> yeah. Might have been part of it. Harder to find than you would think. They are. Uh, uh, Jeff, in general, delayed. Jeff the Des delayed. Bryant catch, lack thereof, definitely delayed. So it's been a little longer since we last spoke. All of you out there in podcast land, but we're back, back here, Ray and I, with Vela Keller talking about small business issues, small business startup issues. We've got a real whopper for you today. Uh, we are kicking off with our what's the name of the song? Do you like whoppers? The candy whoppers? Yes. I can't stand them. Why not? I don't know. It's one candy that I've never. They're delicious. Liked. I don't like the consistency. I don't like the packaging. I like the air in the middle oh, of the ball. Terrible. <laughs> They're terrible. <laughs> They're terrible. What about Burger King Whoppers? Where would you rank Whoppers Candy and Burger King Whoppers? Oh, Burger King Whoppers are way better. Number one over Whoppers Candy? Whoppers Candy, 100. What about two through 99? You can't do that. Yeah, yeah. Burger King Whoppers, number one. (laughs) Candy Whoppers, 100. And, like, when I told my mom that, you know, I was, you know, going to a different college when we go, I called that Whopper that I dropped, like, 17. That is terrible. (laughs) Terrible analogy. Okay, so we are back, VK Podcast. What we're going to talk about today are some, a couple of the minute or maybe what seem like less important details you see in contracts. For those of you who are a small business owner or have a startup, you're probably seeing lots of contracts fly around. And I think the material terms you can generally understand and get, you know, how much am I paying, who am I paying, who's getting what, what's the term, the termination. But we want to talk about some of the miscellaneous provisions, uh, specifically today, choice of law and venue. And I was thinking we would give the listeners out there a little uh, bonus, maybe like a baker's dozen, and talk about attorney's fees. Why is your voice? Your voice has got very unctuous. What, what does unctuous mean? Uh, unctuous does that mean cool? No, it kind of means greasy. <laughs> and not just greasy, greasy. <laughs> Are you sure it doesn't mean awesome? I, I'm pretty sure. I mean, it depends on... on I know. I'm just excited. I'm excited about miscellaneous provisions. That's good. Well, the Baker's Dozen. Okay. And, uh, and by Baker's Dozen, I mean we'll give you one more. Like, it, this one will go to 11. Gotcha. All right. So, if you look in the miscellaneous provisions, or sometimes it's a separate provision, you'll see something called choice of law, and then maybe venue will be in it, or jurisdiction or governing law, and you'll include venue. And what this means is, which the jurisdiction of which... No. Yeah, the law of which jurisdiction will govern – the question it's answering is the law of which jurisdiction will govern this agreement. Govern disputes arising. Govern disputes. Thank you. So generally, if two parties enter to a contract, they will be governed by the jurisdiction which they're currently residing in. So if Ray and I enter into a contract, we're both individuals, we will – and we're in Texas. We're individuals in Texas. The contract will be governed by Texas law. If I have a business in Texas and Ray has a business in Texas or Ray still has an individual entering into a contract with my business in Texas, still be governed by Texas law. If we start to cross state lines, you might now subject yourselves to federal law because federal laws uh, govern the contracts between parties across state lines, whereas state law would govern the contracts for parties inside of a certain state or for some agreements, 
you may elect to have other governing law. So again, governing law will decide, or governing law will state which states or jurisdictions, because these are federal jurisdictions, which state or jurisdictions laws will govern an agreement. Sure, and typically, you know, in, in the choice of law provision, it's the default. The default's going to be, you know, where did the the primary point of the contract or the point of, of whatever the agreement was arise, and that's going to be your choice of law, that default applies uh, unless the parties go in and, and you know, agree to contract around that. And so you know, the, the choice of law provisions, and I think there's, we, we threw around the word venue as well. You know, choice of law is one thing, venue is another. Choice of law, as Kevin said, is going to be the laws of the state of Texas, the laws of the state of Oklahoma, or whatever state happened to apply. And then the venue is going to be where you actually file the lawsuit, whether it's Dallas County or Collin County, or somewhere in Oklahoma or somewhere in Minnesota, and, and or a federal court, right? Sure, and a federal court, right? There, there are certain rules that govern if you're going to if you're allowed to go in federal court. Are you suing under a federal statute like an ERISA or FLSA, something like that? <coughs> is there a federal question, or if there's a diversity jurisdiction where a uh, you know you have a, a one party from Texas, another party from Oklahoma, or something like well, that. Well, why would I? Why would it matter? Right? Why would I want to be in one state versus another? It depends on the laws, and it really depends on what what the point of your contract is. So, if it's in a let, let's use a you know something common, an insurance contract, for example, the laws of the state of Texas on insurance contracts are different than say the laws in California on insurance contracts. And if you take something like um, let's say it's a life insurance contract in Texas, if a you know somebody enters into a life insurance contract, they name a beneficiary, they die, and a life insurance company decides to rescind that contract based on some misrepresentation. In Texas, that life insurance company has to prove that the insured intended to deceive when he made that misrepresentation. In California, that life insurance company does not have to prove an intent to deceive. And that's a big distinction. So really a life insurance company would much rather be under the laws of California than the laws of Texas because it's much more favorable for them. And that goes to a, a whole number of different areas. Sure. Let me give an example. For corporate law, we generally prefer to be in, in Delaware. Now, for those of you that have Texas companies, and I advise a lot of my clients that have Texas companies, that's okay because a lot of our Texas laws mirror Delaware laws. But Delaware has a long history of favorable corporate uh, business precedents inside of, inside of different lawsuits. And as a result, Delaware is thought to be very favorable to companies, to corporations, or companies, you know, LLCs. As a result, a lot of corporations and LLCs like to have Delaware law, Delaware be their their choice of law, their, or their governing law. So again, choice of law or governing law deals with which law will govern the interpretation or enforcement of an agreement, as Ray pointed out, that could be material, depending on the type of contract. And then you tells you where you actually have to be meaning Dallas County, Tarrant County, you know, you could have Northern District if it's a federal court. And I think it's important to note that there are default provisions on venue if your contract is silent as to them. So, you know, in Texas, for example, one of the factors is where the, you know, where the contract was formed, what, what county, what state, and that's going to decide your venue of where you file a lawsuit if the dispute arises. Another one is going to be, you know, where does the defendant reside? And then finally, where does the plaintiff reside? So there are default rules. But courts allow parties to contract around that and say, you know what, we don't want, even though the defendant's in Texas, the contract is in Texas, we want the laws of the state of California to apply, 
for some reason. There has to be some decent reason because courts can can refuse to enforce them based on certain circumstances if it's something off the wall. And another thing you see a lot, Kevin, this is why, you know, it's important to note to read your miscellaneous provisions, which a lot of people don't. Is I always thought miscellaneous meant don't read. <laughs> no, that's not, that's not what it means. Okay. Um, because sometimes somebody will grab a boilerplate contract off the Internet or wherever, and it will be, you know, Joe Blow in Texas and his buddy in, in Texas also, and they happen to grab a contract that has a choice of law provision in Wisconsin. And that can create a lot of, you know, if somebody wants to be hard-headed about it and try to enforce it, that's what you agreed upon. You have to read your contract. There could be ways around it, but still, you see it a lot. And I think you make a really good point with the life insurance cases. You know, that might not apply to everyone, but that's just one example where it's significantly more favorable to be in California than in Texas. And if you're in California and you grabbed an example off the Internet and it said choice of laws in Texas and you're a company, you really may have set yourself up for something that should not be as difficult as you just made it. So, again, choice of law and venue, that's what those things mean. The next thing I'd like to talk, talk about is attorney's fees, right? Why do we see all of these attorney's fees provisions inside a contract? Well, it's kind of the same deal as agreeing to a different venue. There are default rules for in a piece of litigation in a lawsuit who's going to pay for attorney's fees. And the default rule is that nobody is entitled to attorney's fees, win or lose, um, it, with, with some exceptions. You know, if you're suing for, and this is specific to our discussion on contracts, if you're suing somebody for breach of contract under Chapter 38 of the Texas um, Civil Practice and Remedies Code, you and you win, you're entitled to your attorney's fees. But if you get sued for a breach of contract and you win, you beat the person suing you, you're not entitled to attorney's fees. So if you're fees. simply defending it, if you show that they that they lost, that you know that they didn't have enough cause to prove that you were in breach of that contract, you're defending it. By default, you do not get to recover your attorney's fees. Correct, and that's exactly why you see attorney's fees provisions in contracts that typically say something like, if any litigation or any dispute arises as a result of the um, circumstances or any, any matter covered in this contract, uh, the prevailing party will be entitled to attorney's fees. And that shifts over to the defendant an opportunity to recover attorney's fees in the event that he or she prevails in litigation. So that's really something you have to take care of at the contract formation stage once you can. And this is why you see attorney's fees inside of just about every contract. And it's something, just as a, a practice pointer for other attorneys out there, if, if somebody sues you on a contract, look at that provision right away because you may want to counterclaim for attorney's fees to make sure that you trigger that provision. And another reason why you shouldn't just be grant grabbing contracts off the Internet, because if you get one from a state which doesn't have this requirement that you have to include that attorney's fees language, you could have put yourself into a bad contract. Correct. Okay, so that's a couple of miscellaneous provisions. Uh, we wanted to talk about indemnification. We actually came in here wanting to do that, but then we weren't sure what indemnification meant. So we're going to research that. Mostly we didn't know how to spell it. <laughs> uh, I think there's a, a, that's, a silent Would you say there. that that's our client's favorite word to mispronounce? Yeah, that is on the list of uh, Vela Keller mispronounced words. <laughs> that's high up there. Uh, Geff's first name is second. Oh, I'm sorry, Jeff. <laughs> if his real name was Geff, and all this time, everyone's going to call him Jeff. If his, if his real name was Geff, he'd be number one. <laughs> <laughs> he mispronounced himself, which wouldn't be surprising. 
Okay, so that ends it. Let's go out with, um, I don't know, let's pick something from our music library, Ray, some of the music that we have licensed here. I'm feeling something kind of bluesy, uh, you know, easy, something that you just look nice, nice pick. I like it. We actually only have the rights to one piece of music, and we obtain these rights by adverse possession. A little loud, so I'm going to pack up in a sec. So if you have any music that you'd like for us to play during the VK bo- podcast, I was thinking that maybe we could play some music while we're talking. I don't know. That's a great, and just in case readers don't, uh, listeners don't know, adverse possession means having a show that nobody listens to, so <laughs> nobody knows you're using our music. <laughs> you stole it. <laughs> okay, well, thanks for listening. We'll be back sooner than, than the gap between the last time, and uh, we'll talk more about small business and startup issues. If you got any ideas for us, we'd love to hear them. Do a little mailbag, maybe. A podcast at VelaKeller.com. It's V-E-L-A-K-E-L-L-E-R. And follow us on Twitter at VelaKeller. Thanks, everybody. Yeah.